Bibles over to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Going to talk uh, uh, today, obviously we're, we're doing uh, the socks and shoes for the poor, uh, and at the end of our uh, the sermon here, we're going to have, uh, we've been talking about this in the church, if you're visiting with us, this is not for you, this is just for the church. We've been talking about uh, having uh, our collection for Hope Worldwide that, that we have once a year on the International Day of Giving, which uh, for our congregation actually is today. And the goal is for every member of our church to give $52, which would be basically a dollar a week, uh, so Hope Worldwide can continue to do things uh, like they are doing now in the Philippines. You know, whenever there's major tragedies around the world uh, with this kind of stuff, they always uh, are doing things. And, uh, you know, since our church is worldwide, wherever something happens, at least nearly everywhere, uh, we can engage and do things. And that's uh, what Hope Worldwide is all about, uh, whether it's in the United States or whether it's uh, in a foreign country, uh, you know, all around the world. Uh, we're involved with that. And so we'll have that contribution at the end of the sermon here. We normally, of course, don't do two contributions a week, okay? Uh, I know that and you know that, but today's a unique day. But we're going to look at uh, Jesus' attitude because, you know, we've been doing this whole thing on Jesus uh, and following Jesus, and we're going to continue that kind of a theme here with the idea of looking at Jesus and the poor. Are you in Mark 12? Good. Here we go. Mark 12, verse 41. Now, Jesus has been sort of engaging uh, the religious leaders in all kinds of conversation that's been going on here. And uh, we sort of pick this up uh, as uh, he's finishing that time. And uh, in, in verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. So we have Jesus here. Honestly, he's probably a little tired. And I love it in the scriptures when it gives you a little bit of an insight into Jesus being, you know, the human person that he was of him being tired. One of my favorite passages is when they're in the boat and it says that Jesus was taking a nap. And I say, well, you know what? I can relate with Jesus right there because every once in a while we all need a nap. But we find Jesus here maybe in a similar situation where he's a little bit tired in the temple area, has been engaging all the religious leaders in their conversation, and it says that Jesus sat down. And I appreciate Mark throwing that in there. That Jesus, you know, probably was a little tired and just sat down. And he's going to do a little people watching. You ever do any people watching? People are fascinating to watch. Uh, and, and if you're in a situation like a, uh, uh, an airport, uh, you know, where you're just seeing, you know, all kinds of people involved, and, you know, you watch people and you're like, oh my, uh, you know, look at that, uh, you know, and, and you're like, uh, you know, boy, those kids are, are out of control or, uh, you know, uh, whatever. But, you know, Jesus is doing little people watching. He says he sat down opposite where the, uh, the uh, things are being given. He's watching people. And it goes on, it says, many rich people threw in large amounts. And so he just, wow, there are a lot of rich people threw in a lot of money. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. So Jesus is watching the people give. He's sitting there and he's observing what's going on. He sees rich people come. And they would have given their money uh, you know, they didn't have checks in that day, obviously, or paper money. And so they would have brought their money. If they brought a large amount, it would have been in some sort of a large container. 
And so the rich are bringing and they're putting in their money. And, and you can tell they're putting in their money because it's a lot of money. Or you might be able to look at their clothes. You know, sometimes you look at a person and they're very, very well dressed. And I don't know if you've ever thought that. You look at someone and, and you're going to say, you know, I bet that person has money. You ever made that observation by how someone is dressed or how they carry themselves or that kind of thing? In this case, Jesus would have actually observed the large amount of money. But in the midst of all that, this I, I would assume elderly, it doesn't say that, but I, since she's a widow, we're going to assume that she's probably maybe you know not a young woman, probably a, a middle-aged to older woman. She comes and she puts in two very small coins. It would have been Greek lepta more than than uh, than, uh, than likely. And, and that, uh, and translated, is a mite. Now, when you think of a mite, a mite is just a very small thing. Now, probably in correlation to us today, it would be two pennies. Now, Jesus sees this as an incredible opportunity to talk to his disciples and teach them. Because look who he does in verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. So Jesus teaching here to the guys. He said, hey guys, come around. We're going to talk about what we've just seen here. The wealthy people came in. They put in large amounts of money. The woman comes in, and, and she probably is a little bit of embarrassed uh, in the context of what's going on. And she just puts it in real quick, and it's, it, it's, it's not noticed. And people go by, and Jesus says, oh, ho, 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 we've got to talk about this. This woman gave more than they gave. And when he does that, Jesus really divides the concept of giving into two different types of value system. There's a value system that is the value system of the world in a sense of actually how much did you give. You know, like this morning uh, I gave uh, Nathan Johnston, uh, Reese's uh, son, owed Nathan five dollars. And he gave it to me about two weeks ago, and I've been carrying it around in my wallet. And, and I reminded myself today, you've got to be sure to give that $5 to Nathan. So I saw Nathan, and I went up to him and said, Nathan, here's the $5. I don't remember who gave it to me, but someone owes you $5. <laughs> and they gave it to me. He said, oh, yeah, 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 that's, uh, that's uh, Reese's son. I, oh, yeah, that's right. You know what? There's no question. He didn't look at that $5 bill and say, 100 I gave him five dollars. You understand what I'm saying? There's a value amount of what the world sees in the value of what the, the, the currency is. In our context, uh, paper money or a check or maybe coins. There's no questioning about it. Everyone knows what a quarter looks like. We all know what a penny looks like. We all know what a dime or a nickel. We all know how to count money. 
There's no question if it's a $1 bill or a, a $5 bill or a $10 bill or, or whatever. There's a value amount of what was given. And the rich people gave a lot. Apparently, Jesus says. The, the observation by Mark is, they gave a lot of money. But Jesus says, now wait a minute, she gave more than them. Because she gave all that she had. Now she gave two coins. Wouldn't you have thought, I'm going to give, but I've, I've got to still live. I'll give one coin to the contribution and I'll keep the other one. It's only a penny after all. But we don't know all that much about this woman. As a matter of fact, we don't know her name. But we do know that she gave all that she had. Probably the truth of the matter is, if she'd have given one penny, she'd have given more. From a sacrifice point of view, than what the rich had given anyway. If you understand what I'm saying, you know, if you've got a thousand dollars and you give a hundred, you know, a hundred is a lot of money. But you still have 900 on your own, if you understand what I'm saying. So it's a sacrifice, but it's certainly not a sacrifice of giving a thousand if you have a thousand. You understand what I'm saying? So Jesus teaches here, and this is really an important thing for us to understand. He teaches here that this poor woman that gave two pennies actually gave more than the rich people who gave all the money uh, that, that they had because she gave more because it cost her. It's what it cost her to give it really was the issue. It wasn't the value amount. When the guy or, or whoever counted the money that day in the temple, they just counted two leptus, two pennies. But Jesus says those two pennies really represent real sacrifice because of what it really cost her to give that money. I want us to take a little tour here real quick. And look at what the early church thought about the poor. And the reason we're going to do that, we're actually going to come back to Jesus here in a minute. But we're going to look at several passages in Acts and, uh, and a little on. And, and look at what the early church, what, what their attitude was about the poor. Because the early church would have been the clearest reflection of what Jesus had taught the apostles. And therefore what the apostles then did when they instituted the church. Are you with me? So we're just going to look at these real quickly. Look over at Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Acts 9, verse 36. These are passages in the, uh, in the, the history book. Acts is a history book of the early church. And we'll see that's sort of what's noted here. Acts 9, verse 36. This is a story about a, a, a woman that's a member of the church. It says, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha which when translated is Dorcas. You know, uh, I, I've always thought that Tabitha probably is a, is a sweeter sounding name anyway, at least to uh, me than Dorcas, but whatever. Uh, it's the same name apparently when translated. Uh, you know, when we lived in Argentina, in Buenos Aires, I wasn't Marty. Uh, I was Martin. Uh, you know, when, when translated in the Castellano down there in Argentina, that's how it came out. Not Marty. Marty would not have been well accepted there. I was Martin. So that, you know, when translated as Dorcas. 
Now look at what it notes here about this, this woman who's a member of the church. Who was always doing good and helping the poor. Now it's going to go on, and the story is going to go on, and she's actually going to die, and she's going to be raised back to life. But isn't it interesting that we have this story about this woman that's going to be raised back to life after she passes away, but it notes in there that she was always doing good things, and she was helping out with people who were poor. Look across the page there, at least the page in my Bible, uh, in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, this story is going to go on, and this, this, uh, this Roman soldier is going to become a Christian at the end of the story. We're not really looking at that. We're looking at what is going to be noted here. It says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Do you get that? This guy's a Roman soldier, but he's a pretty good guy. He's a little unusual for a Roman soldier, frankly. He's a nice guy. And he's very conscientious about giving to those in need. The poor. Those in need. Look over to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 and verse 26. Paul here is talking about different things that he wants to, to do. Uh, and, and he says, uh, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. He's saying that the, the Christian churches that have been established in these areas, in Macedonia, which would be southern Greece, as we understand it, and Achaia, in that area of the world, Paul is taking, has taken up a contribution from those Christians uh, to take back to Jerusalem for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So you got one area, we would think of this as one area of the world today. But in that day, these were two completely different areas of the world. And so you have Christians in one area taking up an, a contribution for people in another area that are going through a difficult time for the poor on the way uh, there uh, to Jerusalem. It goes on in verse 27. It says, they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. Well, what do you mean they owe it to them? Well, what he's saying is, is that the church started in Jerusalem. So now, these people have become Christians, but in one sense, their spiritual heritage can be traced all the way back to these people in Jerusalem that they're now giving money to. But isn't it interesting, in the early church, in that time, you even had churches from one area take up for another area if they were poor and going through a difficult time. Look over to Galatians chapter 2. You guys following me here? Galatians 2, just look at what the early church thought and did in this area of, of the poor. Now, in, uh, in Galatians 2, Paul is talking about his life, and he... he uh, uh, mentions in chapter 1 that he became a Christian, and it says in verse 1, 14 years later. So he's saying, I've been a Christian for 14 years, and then he says, I went up to Jerusalem this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also, and, and he's saying, okay, it's been, I've been a Christian for 14 years, and I sort of went back to the, to the motherland, to, to the mother church, if you know what I'm saying. And he's saying it's, it's many, many years later. 
Uh, skip ahead to verse 6. He says, as for those who seem to be important, in other words, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem is who he's referring to there, Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. In other words, he's saying, hey, you know, I'm just as much of a Christian leader as they are, even though they've been in Jerusalem the whole time, and I've been up and and out and and around. He says, on the contrary, they saw uh, uh, that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who is at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked, now get this, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, this is a fascinating look back into history. Paul is saying, I became a Christian, not in Jerusalem. It was 14 years that I'd been a Christian. But I felt like I needed to go back and I need to make sure we're all on the same page. And so he went back and he met with the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And what they came up with is they said, well, it seems clear to us, you should continue what you're doing. You're out into the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. And you continue to do that. And Peter, and those of us here in Jerusalem, we're going to focus on the Jewish world and the people that we're dealing with. But you know what? We do want to challenge you on one thing. Make sure you do what? Make sure you remember the poor. And Paul says, you know, that's the very thing I wanted to do. I, I hadn't forgotten it, he's saying. But isn't it interesting? They're talking about church unity and understanding each other, having different ministries But they wanted to make sure, hey, make sure we don't forget the poor. Whether we're in the Jewish world or whether we're in the Gentile world, let's make sure that the poor and their needs are being taken care of to the best of our ability. Okay, let me close this thing up for you as we look at this study of Jesus and the poor. I've got three things here that I think were convictions of Jesus about the poor. Look over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Here's where we get practical. Okay, are my, uh, my students down here paying attention? You're on it. I see you. I appreciate that. You guys are doing a good job. I tell you what, I, I, I love my, my, uh, my young uh, people down here on the front row taking notes. That is awesome. I'm proud of you guys. Uh, you are, you're the light of my life, man. You're great. Okay, three convictions here. This is practical. What, what does Jesus think about the poor? Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. This is, this is going into what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, So this is the first thing that Jesus teaches his followers when he's got him up there in this famous sermon that's sort of a Magna Carta of, of, uh, of Christianity. The first thing out of his mouth is this. Blessed or blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. First thing out of his mouth. Now, is he talking about people that are monetarily poor? No, he's not. He's talking about not necessarily how much you have in your bank account, but what do you have in your heart? 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is basically teaching here that if you are so full of yourself, if you are arrogant and prideful, if your position of life is to find someone that you can look down on, if you're full of yourself, now look what he says here, guys. This is a big deal. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is crucial. This is, this is essential that we have a poor in spirit attitude of life. That doesn't mean we're walking around, we don't have any self-confidence, we don't, don't feel like we can do anything. That's not what Jesus is teaching. Many of, in this room, many of us in this room are highly educated, highly intelligent, highly capable, talented people. Jesus isn't saying that we need to be untalented, uneducated, people that can't find their way around in life. He's saying, how do you really feel about yourself in reality? Are you humble? And let's, let's look at some of those areas that I talked about. Some of you are highly intelligent. Where did you get that ability to learn? Did you buy it at Costco? Did you, did you get it on the Internet? Did you order it from Amazon? He said, well, no, I guess I, guess I, I, I uh, well, my, you know, if I, as I think about it, my mother was pretty smart. And my dad was a pretty smart person. Well, you know what? Why were you born into that family? Did you, did you order your parents? Now, see, many of the things that we have as far as our abilities and talents are not things that we did on our own. Now, I'm not saying that you didn't have to work hard to get that education, and you didn't have to study, and you didn't have to be diligent, but you've got to understand, if you didn't have the baseline ability to do some of those things, it wouldn't have made any difference how hard you worked. I can tell you for a fact right now, I can work as hard as I can. I can't dunk a basketball. <laughs> you can give me the best trainer in Los Angeles, and he can work with me for six months. In gonna happen. You say, well, Marty, you're 58. I mean, you, you know, back when you were an athlete, you know, when, when you were young and all that? Listen, it didn't happen then. It sure isn't going to happen now. We've got to realize that many of the things that we have as far as our talent, our ability, the things that we have capitalized on because God has blessed us with those things. Yes, you studied hard. Yes, you've been sacrificial, but come on. We've got to be realistic. Don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant as if you're better than somebody else. You are no better. I am no better than anybody. This is where people get in trouble. They start thinking, well, you know, my race is better. This is where they get in trouble. They start thinking, my gender is better. This is where they start getting in trouble saying, well, if you went to the school that I went to, you're better. 
You grew up in the neighborhood I grew up in. We're all better. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You just happen to be born there. You happen to be uh, in, uh, in, in the situation and circumstances that you're in. And be grateful. Be grateful. Because I tell you one thing when you start doing, if you do a little people watching, you don't have to watch people very long and you see people that are less fortunate than you. But don't you dare look down on them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You better be poor. I'm not talking about your bank account. You know, the Bible actually talks, great people of faith in the Bible oftentimes had a lot of money. Money in and of itself is not a determinant factor of whether you're good or not. But you better be poor. You better be poor in spirit. Just because you're better looking than somebody. You know what? Beauty is in the eyes of the beholder anyway. Just because you're smarter. Just because you, you, you think, for whatever reason you think it. Guys, there's no reason. Jesus said, be poor in spirit. Number two. Look over to Luke 14. These are convictions that I believe Jesus had about the poor. We better be poor, number one. Number two. You better stay a little poor because you're not going to be open to God if you're not poor. Luke 14, verse 16. Jesus here is going to tell a parable. Now, a parable, of course, is a story, earthly story with a, a spiritual lesson. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. We can all relate with that. They can relate with it in that time, too. Going to have a dinner party. Going to invite a bunch of people to come on over. Right? At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is already. So those people who had been invited, the servant knew who had been invited. And he says, okay, we got everything ready. Go tell the people that we invited that the banquet is now ready. The food is warm. Uh, you know, the wine is chilled. We're ready to have a nice banquet all together. Look at this, verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. Well, that's just interesting. The first one said, I just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So we got people buying property. we got people buying oxen. And so another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, I think it's interesting. The first two said, please excuse me. This guy said, I got married. I'm not coming. He, he's not even courteous about it. I just got married, going on my honeymoon. You can have your dinner party without me. The servant came back and reported this to the master. He, says, he comes back home and he says, hey, I got some bad news. I know we got all this food prepared here, but everybody that we invited has got something else going, and they're not coming. Then the owner of the house became angry. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus is telling a story that has spiritual implications, and the owner here... Is, is in a correlative relation. This is God. God has made the great banquet, and He's invited you and me to the banquet. And when we say, no, I don't have time, later, the owner of the house became angry. Well, you can understand that. 
Wouldn't you feel a little angry if you'd gone to all this work and effort and everybody you thought that were your friends that you wanted to come said no? You'd be a little miffed, wouldn't you? Come on now. You know you would. I would be. A pretty normal reaction. And he ordered his servant. Now look what he tells the servant now. We're going to change clientele. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of town. Bring in who? The poor. The crippled. The blind. And the lame. Wow! Why would you now invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? Because he's got a banquet ready. And he wants to have people share it with him. And these people are ready to come. They're fired up. They didn't get an invitation the first time. <laughs> and they're like, hey, yeah, I'd like, I've always wanted to go inside your house. That looks like a pretty nice house. You ever drive down the street and see a house and wonder what it looks like inside? You know, these, uh, yeah, come on, man, fire it up. I want to come, the poor, the crippled. Look at this. Sir, the service said, what you've ordered has been done, and there's still room. Wow, they came, but we still got more room. Then the master told his servant, go on to the roads and country lanes. Now we're going to bring in uh, the rednecks and, you know, the, the, the hey, I mean, bring, bring, in, bring in everybody, man. We, you know, bring the Duck Dynasty crew in here. Bring in the and country lanes. Make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Point number two here, practically, what Jesus teaches about the poor. Number one is you better be poor. Secondly, you better make sure you're poor because you're not going to respond to God if you're arrogant. Because you just basically look at it and say, I don't need God. I don't need God. I got enough money. I got a career. Got a wife. Got a family. I don't need God in my life. I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm well taken care of. I got some land over there. I got to go see it. I just got married. You better make sure. I better make sure that our attitude about God is not. You know, God, I got it. I got it all together. I'm cool. So your attitude better be. Oh, you mean I get invited? This is awesome. You know what, if someone today came up to me, no one's going to do this, don't, don't be weird about it. If someone came up to me today and handed me two tickets to the Rose Bowl game, the national championship, not the Rose Bowl, it's going to be at the Rose Bowl, the national championship game at the Rose Bowl. I, how would you, I would be fired up. I've been to the Rose Bowl before, but that was only for, you know, a UCLA normal regular season game. This is the national championship game. I don't know who's going to play in it. You know, Alabama and somebody, I imagine. Uh, but and that went right over everybody's head. It's not a college football. <laughs> if you're a college football fan, you got that one. If you're not, don't worry about it. Two teams will be there. One will be in one color and one will be in white. Okay? Amen. Uh, <laughs> If someone offered me two tickets, here, here's two tickets, I'd say, man, hot dog, this is good. Because there's no way I can do that. I don't know what two tickets would, would cost to go to that game, but a lot more than I'd be willing to pay, I'm sure of that. You see, if you're humble, you realize, I need God in my life. Yeah, I want God, I want God in my life. Number three, look over to John 12. I'm going to close this thing down, guys. You with me? 
John 12. One last story. Jesus' convictions about the poor. You better be poor. You better see your need. And thirdly here, and this is a little shocking, Jesus says there will always be poor people. John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Boy, there's another little snippet. Isn't that an interesting snippet? A dinner was given in Jesus' honor. All of us have probably had at least a birthday party that was in your honor. You know, uh, growing up, you know, when, when it was my birthday, uh, the tradition we had in my family growing up is when it was your birthday, you could have the meal that you wanted. And my brother always wanted steak. But I, I always wanted fried shrimp. So, hey, when it was my birthday, we had fried shrimp. You know, a birthday, a dinner, and on it. Here's a birthday, or not, I may have been a birthday, I don't know. But there's a, 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 a dinner in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took, this is Martha's sister, she took a pint, a, a small jar, relatively small jar, of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. You can imagine that much perfume and the house would just be aerated with it. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now, that's an interesting comment from Judas. It would indicate that at other times, people brought gifts to Jesus that were expensive gifts, and they sold them and gave the proceeds to the poor. It would indicate that that's what they had done in a previous time with, with other gifts that had been given. But in this case, of course, that wasn't done. And, and Judas is, is bringing this up. Why wasn't this sold? Why, why was it wasted, is what he's saying. It's worth a year's wages. Now, look at this in verse 6. John tells us, really, now, of course, John is writing this after, you know, and, he, and he's telling us what happened. He said he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John's saying, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but what I know now is that Judas was actually stealing from the money that people gave to Jesus. And he wasn't saying this about should we sell this and give it to the poor because he cared about the poor. No, he didn't care about the poor. He just wanted to make sure there was money in the bag so he could steal it. Look at verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus said, replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And this is one of those sayings that Jesus says that sometimes, honestly, he says things sometimes that are stunning and hard for us really to absorb. In spite of the early church trying to take care of the needs of the poor, in spite of Jesus and his disciples selling things and giving to the poor around uh, them, Jesus makes a declaration here that's quite true even to our time today. You will always have the poor among you. We live in one of the wealthiest cities 
in, in, in North America, one of the wealthiest cities in the world. There are parts of Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles, when you drive through the neighborhood, it's, it's, almost, it's almost mind-boggling, the wealth that you see around you in the homes and the, and the properties uh, that, that are there. But we all know you can also drive to other areas in Los Angeles and be stunned by the poverty that you see. It's always been a mystery to me when you drive through, if you've ever done this, you drive through San Diego and you go across the border into Tijuana. It, 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 it is shocking that literally hundreds of feet from one another, people living basically in the exact same neighborhood, some are living in poverty and others are living in extreme wealth. Jesus says you'll always have the poor among you. We have the poor among us. We took a, a, a collection today of socks and shoes. All of us in this room probably have so many socks in our sock drawer that in, in several weeks we wouldn't even have to do laundry. But there are people that live within miles of where we live that need socks. Their children need socks. We have shoes that we don't even wear. And we took up a collection so that somebody can have a pair of shoes in December, in January, in February, when, the, when, the, when our area of the world is cold. And cold is a relative term, too. If you live in Chicago... I think you'd have a different definition of cold. I don't think the low 60s in Chicago in December is called cold. It's called a heat wave. <laughs> we, have, we have a tropical heat wave here. It's 60 degrees. We go 60 degrees and we're going long sleeve and, you know, get my, get my winter coat on. Jesus here teaches something that's hard for us to really absorb, is that there always will be poor people. But he taught us by his example, and he taught us by what the early church did, that we have a responsibility to always remember the poor. Now, we're going to end today, I told you this before the sermon, we're going to have our collection today for Hope Worldwide. This is, this is one time a year we do this, guys, for Hope Worldwide. The, the, the monthly things that we have all go into this one pile. For many of us in this room, we've given way past 52. That, 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 that's not even close. But guys, 52 is a dollar a week. That's what Hope Worldwide asks for us to sacrifice so that they can take care of the needs. You know what? When we have a typhoon go through the Philippines, I, I can't go over there. You can't go over there. Most of us, there's not even a hope that we could go over there and try to help out. But Hope Worldwide is there. This is something that's an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for me to give the hope, to help them in their effort. I hope our study today of Jesus and the poor has been helpful for you in our context of following Jesus because we want to be like Jesus in our heart 
and our attitude toward Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and have a prayer here, and then we'll have our collection, and then I'll dismiss you uh, after the collection. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us what you've given us. You've given us more than we could ever amount uh, in our our own life, and uh, we thank you. Uh, We are grateful uh, in this this season of gratitude and thanksgiving uh, uh, of all that you've done for us. Be with us now as we give to the poor, uh, that uh, these uh, monies can be uh, redistributed in the areas of the world that need water, that need basic necessities of life, and uh, that we can have a heart and we can have a spirit for the poor. So Jesus we pray. Amen. I know this week is Thanksgiving. Uh, many of us, if not all of us, will probably be involved with our families. I want to really encourage you with your family. Tell them how much that you are thankful for them. Whether it be your mom, your dad, your uncle, your cousins, your children, uh, your parents, uh, whoever you have an opportunity to be with uh, on this Thanksgiving coming up here on Thursday, that you express to them how thankful that you are for them. And if they've done something that sort of annoyed you in the past and you're irritated uh, with them, you know what? Let it go. Life's too short, guys. Let it go. Tell them that you're thankful for them. You're dismissed. Have a great time.